This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Worth a try. And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hello, it's Off the Ball, and it has been an exciting final weekend of Premier League football. And today we're going to be just talking Premier League with all the various things that have been happening. And our three pundits are Kishnan Sundaresan. Incredible, incredible uh, weekend of football, wasn't it? It, it, it really was. And uh, Gogolin? Yeah, hello. Great to see Villa involved in the title challenge <laughs> on the final day of the weekend. Uh, yeah, but not quite coming up with the goods. And finally, Leeds United fan, who is looking very tired but very happy, Arvin Sidhu. <laughs> Leeds are staying up, stayed up. Leeds are staying up. Oh, it's the best Monday I've had in a long time. It's good to be here. Let's go. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, with that happy note, uh, let's let's start with the top of the table. There, there were kind of three different fights going on on the final day. There was the fight for first place, fourth place, and relegation. So let's start with the fight at the top. Manchester City 3, Aston Villa 2. City were two goals down at one point. Villa looked like, and Steven Gerrard looked like they might be pulling off the surprise of the season. But Gogolin, ultimately, City came through. Were they just they're just better? Well, I mean, they were playing with some intensity. But what I was um, really shocked was we were 2-0 up. And City were completely, you know, looking really nervous and clueless at that point. And we take off Coutinho, who was one of the people giving them the problems. Because we just basically was what, you know, playing a flat back four, flat back five at one point. And hitting it long to Watkins and Coutinho. And then we go defensive against City. And we, we let in three goals in five and a half minutes. You know, so I really don't understand what Stevie G was thinking then. You know, I understand Coutinho was tired a bit, but it's still for that kind of change we made at that time. You know, you didn't have nothing much to lose at that point. At two nil up against City, you don't go defensive. You never go defensive against Man City at that time. I was a bit shocked with that, but other than that, I thought I thought they gave as good as they got. But it was always going to be City though, the way they were playing, the intensity they were playing at. So these are the final matches. Just those substitutions made the difference so far, right? Yeah, Kish, because um, for a moment, though, I, w- I was having uh, Champions League semi-final flashbacks and thinking how Real Madrid just suddenly, ter- I mean, no, scared them, scared City to death and broke their spirit. But they, they had a bit of spirit to them. Yeah, th- th- there's, this real, um, it, th- there's this real unfair narrative that often builds around Pep Guardiola um, and his Man City side. Uh, uh, so far, I mean, suggesting that the team lacks mental strength, that um, Pep as a manager overthinks uh, his tactics for the big games and the team, when it comes to games that actually matters, sometimes they actually bottle it. Look, I understand where those narratives come from, but I, but I just hope um, in, in, in the future, uh, when we approach big games and when individuals think of forming narratives like that in the media, I think they were, I, I hope that they're reminded of what City did against Villa. Because uh, when you go 2-0 down in the most important game of your season and you have to get uh, full three points in this fixture and you go 2-0 down the way you did against uh, Villa whilst you dominated possession, you controlled ball in the final third, but you just weren't doing anything in, 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 in the final third. I think a lot of the times uh, City could have just ended up losing the game. But I think the way they responded to it, um, not just the way the team responded, but the way Pep responded in terms of his in terms of his tactics, he knew um, very decisively what he wanted to do, what the team needed to do uh, to be able to master a comeback. Ilkay Gundogan being coming, being brought on was a master stroke. I think his late runs just started to cause a lot more troubles for Villa down the stretch. Um, and it immediately swung the whole game in their favour, especially that period of five minutes. And it's also City knowing that when they were 2-0 down, all they needed was one goal in front of a home crowd to restore that hope and rattle that Villa squad just a little bit. Because the moment the first goal went in, you you, you could see the body language that City players, that it, like they were excited, but this was... Like there was no reason to be settled just yet. They wanted to keep going, and they kept that intensity up. And they got the the second one within a couple of minutes. And even then, they kept going. It wasn't till the third goal that after that, when they started to relax a little bit. So it was really, really smart from from Man City. And and you you've got to give massive credits to Pep Guardiola for that. So City have won the title. 
they are not in the Champions League final. Mm. Um, it's a good season for City. Yeah, it's a good season because when you look at the overall big picture, four titles in five years, it's, it's a dynasty. No matter how you look at it, it's a dynasty. We know how difficult it is to retain the title, but Pep has done it now twice. And, and he came on and he said the players are legends, and so is he. So I think that, yes, they've had disappointments in the Champions League, and yes, at the end of the day, the owners, that's what, what the focus is on, but it's the bread and butter of the Premier League that he's been able to dominate. And to keep Liverpool twice at the bay with a one-point difference which happened a couple of years ago it's just an incredible rivalry that, that that both the teams have and I know we'll get into Liverpool shortly but I think he summed it up as well best as he said because he's gone up against other managers before he's gone up against uh, Jose Mourinho before he has come out and said that Jurgen Klopp is his ultimate rival and it is because they both continuously push themselves to a level of greatness which the other teams in the league can only hope and aspire to be. Next season, it will be the both of them again battling it out for the first and second place. I really don't see any other team there, regardless of what they do in the summer. And we look at them already getting Haaland in next season. I mean, it's just, it, it's scary proposition. So I think Pep deserves a lot of credit for what it is. And I agree with Keish that the, the substitutions were just absolute masterstrokes. Even Raheem Sterling, I thought, came in and did quite, quite a good job. So yeah, um, Villa throwing away a 2 0 at that point. Uh, the substitutions on their end didn't work out. But it just it just seemed to be very Villa in certain sense where they were brilliant with when they were going 2 0 up, but then to lose three in the way that they did. I tend to wonder did the check clear for Man City in the 80th minute? I don't know, but it just seemed very shocking that in the way it happened. And the more shocking incident at the end of it was Robin Olsen getting attacked by, mm. by fans. We've seen a lot of these pitch invasions. Um, it, and you understand why fans are doing it, but there's no there's no room and no justifications to go at players or even as what we saw with Patrick Vieira last week as well. Yeah, football fans are the worst. Mm-hmm. Hey, Gogolin, by the way, is this, being, is this a good season for Aston Villa and are you looking forward to next season? No, it's definitely not a good season. You know, you, you sacked Dean Smith because we were at, what, uh, 16 at that point or something like that. And, we, you know, it's just a marginal increase with Steven Gerrard. I, always, I, I was never a big fan of Steven Gerrard being appointed. It's another Frank Lampard syndrome, regardless of what he did at Rangers. I know a lot of... But I'll, again, I have to give him the jury's out on this. I have to give him his team. Let him get his players in and we'll see. But this is... Uh, when Arvin said we were surprised. I mean, we, we Villa fans are used to this kind of defensive um, uh, cock-ups. Because, you know, this is this is par for cause. Villa. We, we do well, we have a great sense, but we have Tyrone Mings, an England defender, and it's still completely a joke half the time. You know, for them to go down... Uh, regardless of what the situation was, to concede three goals in five and a half minutes is ridiculous for a premiership team anywhere in England. Yeah. Hey, uh, meanwhile, though, Kishnan, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool three, Wolverhampton Wanderers one, Liverpool comes second. You know, y- you lose two matches and in, in an entire season. You get 92 points. You kind of expect to win. <laughs> it must really hurt. If you take two seasons ago, um, when they lost the league by, um, I think it was one or two points as well against Man City, that season they only lost one game. So if you combine both these seasons, they've lost three games in total <laughs> and they've missed out on two Premier League titles. That is an astonishing um, um, statistic, um, all things considered. And I think it, it, it just goes to show why there needs to be a concentrated effort to remember what this Liverpool side have achieved this year. I know history tends to just remember the winners. History tends to just remember who wins the trophies. Uh, but but if we are football fans, and if we are football fans that, that appreciate greatness, um, then the, the onus is on us um, to make sure this Liverpool side is remembered. Just from, a, from, from Jurgen Klopp's point of view, as a manager, all you can do is make sure your sides play in every single game that's possible for you to play in. When it comes to the finals, these are one-off fixtures. Uh, and, and I tend to not put that much importance on them. So, simple example, Liverpool this year have played in every single game they could have possibly played in, um, making the finals of every single cup competition um, and and being in uh, doing an incredible run in the Premier League. And assuming Liverpool did not win the Carabao Cup and assuming Liverpool did not win the FA Cup, and they end up, ended up missing out on the Premier League title, and they also lose to Real Madrid in the Champions League. I think it's still a season that needs to be remembered because just staying that consistent um, in a league that is so demanding 
and in cup competitions where um, the pressure is just off the charts, it's not an easy thing to do. And no one in the history of the English game has ever accomplished anything like that. And 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 to me, last night, you, know, you, you could see that whilst they were frustrated, but I think, you know, the, the teams, the team and the fans recognised what they had achieved. I think you could see the appreciation and the relationship within the players and the fans at the end of the game, the tribute that they gave for Divock Origi, who said to leave the club. Uh, there was this real uh, feeling of, of something special brewing at, at Anfield last night. And regardless of City winning the title, which is brilliant for Pep and the team, of course, but Klopp and, and his men, um, they need to be remembered. It's what they've done this year has been nothing short of incredible. No, I agree. To be battling on all four fronts at this stage with a team like that, it's, 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 I always say they did not have depth and all that, but they've, they've overcome that this season with the depth they have. They've showed that in the games prior to this mm. uh, couple of weeks. They've showed that they, they can afford to rest players. I, Van Dijk didn't even play last night, right? if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. They have that depth that they were always worried about. And so I uh, I think the Champions League final is, it's, I, they'll be really up for it now that, that they've lost the title. So, you know, Real Madrid really needs to be aware. Uh, I mean, very, really quickly, guys, we have to move on. But uh, Champions League final next weekend, do we think Liverpool or Real Madrid? You're a fan of Real Madrid. Arvin, you go first. It's Madrid's title. I think the, the, the <clears throat> I, I was concerned about Madrid against City, but the comebacks that Madrid have had against Chelsea, against PSG, against Man City, <clears throat> there are times where you just feel the name is on the cup. And I think while Liverpool has had the disappointment of uh, losing the, the league, which they should still be very proud of, Madrid have had that disappointment of their transfers, Agar, Kylian Mbappe. And I think there's a sense of going to Paris and bringing back what they, is more important than a player, which is the 14th title. So for me, it's Madrid. No, I absolutely agree. Um, look, I, I, I would put Liverpool favourites in terms of um, form, in terms of um, experience, the mental strength to be able to close out um, uh, games like this. And even the quality on paper, obviously, Liverpool have a, a far better team than Real Madrid, in, in my opinion. But I think two things, right? Real Madrid being um, Champions League mentality monsters, um, it's their competition. They're just Champions League royalty at this point. But that, coupled with the fact that they missed out on Kylian Mbappe, uh, that was a massive blow. And you could see how much it affected them because you had Real Madrid players posting up messages of uh, you know cryptic Instagram stories and, and tweets featuring photos of the Real Madrid logo and such, indicating that uh, the club had been disgraced by Mbappe's last-minute decision to snap them. And the fact that the final is happening in Paris the home of PSG and where Kylian Mbappe is based at, it's 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 going to be ridiculous. That's going to be very much a part of that team talk uh, that will that will be delivered to the players in the final. And I have a slight feeling that that will be enough for Real Madrid that night. All right, Gogla, what do you think? Like what Keech said last time, the head saying something else, the heart is saying something else. The heart says uh, Real Madrid, to be fair. And, I, and these are good points that these two have alluded to. And I really hope that these are, the, I mean, they are Champions League royalty and what Keish alluded to as uh, mentality monsters, that's going to be the ace in the pack. But the head says with the squad that Liverpool have and now being snubbed of that league title, they will be all going all out. So I think uh, this comeback is a bit too hard for them. Yeah, well, I, I don't know who they are. They've got no one to break Mohamed Salah's arm this time. So <laughs> uh, there's a, they're at a disadvantage already. Okay, we move on. In a moment, we're going to be looking at the battle for fourth spot here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. Captain, leader, legend. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. It's off the ball, and now we are looking at the battle for fourth spot. I was talking to Keish earlier. He was saying it wasn't a battle at all. Uh, was it Arvin? Um, Spurs beat Norwich City 5-0. we got to remember it was Norwich City who got relegated, I think, about four months ago. Uh, Son Yun Min has won the golden boot. The contrast between this Spurs at this end of the season compared to the Spurs at the beginning of the season, Arvin, it, it couldn't be starker. Uh, but uh, th- these are worthy fourth place winners. And, yeah, and it's, the, it's down to the incredible work that Antonio Conte has put into it. And also Fabio Paratici. I think the, the, the transfer guru Fabrizio Romano came up and summed it up really well because it's been a masterclass. It's been a masterclass firstly to convince Antonio Conte to come to Spurs and to believe in the project. And then secondly, to have the, the, the winter transfer window in January and the signings that they made. Last night, again, their two best players were Rodrigo Bentacur, were Dejan Kulusevski. Yes, we will think about 
House Son Heung Min now is tied as the top scorer in the league, the first Asian to do it with Salah. You will think of Harry Kane, who always seems to score against Norwich. But I thought Rodrigo Bentecourt, as well as Dejan Kulonseski, were just absolutely excellent. And it's those type of buys that Spurs, when they meet them, just takes them up to the level that they need to. And then with Conte, you know it is. It's a serial winner. He wanted those players and he got those players. And now they're linked to Alessandro Bastoni from Inter. They get him and they partner him with Christian Romero at the back. They've got a really solid base to build from as well. So I think Spurs have done really well and it's down to what's happened off the pitch. But what's key for them is I can't think of another another end season that's more important than for Spurs than this coming end season because Conte came out last night. He was not fully committed in his future. He said, let's talk about the plans for next season because he needs, he wants that investment in that squad. And I hope for Spurs fans, I hope for Daniel Levy, they do this differently this time because they've got something really good with him there. The last thing they want is to lose him to another club and not back this manager because back him, Spurs will get, I'm not saying they'll win the league, but they'll get a cup title that they've long drawn for so many years now since they won the or League Cup, I think in 2007, 2008, maybe an FA Cup, even a League Cup, any cup. So I think Spurs fans and management, back Conte, you, it will work out well at the end. They just look so good. I think that next season, moving forward, could they be competing against the likes of City and Liverpool? No, I think we have, we, City and Liverpool are on a different planet at this moment, and that's a project that they have had. But, you know, Conte is like the manager that United would have, should have gone for, you know, in the... These are these are legacy managers who you if you like Armin said if you back them and you back them with the project you will you will reap the rewards down the line you know these are managers who you who need to run it with with an iron fist and be back to the transfer market so yes it's going to be it, it's going to be a project that I'm really going to be watching out for because if they, if Conte stays because I, I'm really surprised that they haven't pinned him down with a contract yet yeah Keisha you're a big fan of Conte I mean I, I wouldn't have thought that Conte and Spurs would be a good fit but. It seems to be working. I mean, I still don't know if it's if it's an excellent fit. Look, um, Antonio Conte is in, in no doubt an excellent football manager with a with a winning mentality. But there are always reservations about him because he's not a guy who sticks for the long term. He's not a guy who who can form part of a of a long term project, um, a, a bigger picture in mind, a long term revamp of a club. In in many ways, Spurs are not a club that need a long term revamp. Um, compared to, say, for example, clubs like maybe Arsenal who are on a long-term revamp at the moment and Man United who very desperately need a long-term revamp. Uh, in that sense, Spurs were a bit more suited to him. But you can see, I mean, the, the, the biggest problem with Conte is like, you know, we're, we're seven months into his reign and we still don't know if he's going to be there beyond the summer. Um, I think Paratici's ability to convince him to sign in the first place was surprising given uh, how... A prudent Daniel Levy is with finances and you know how Conte is and part of the reason he left Inter Milan was because he was told he was not going to get the sort of backing that he got in his first season financially um, and, and it remains to be it remains to be seen this summer if Daniel Levy breaks that that financial structure that has worked very hard to establish at Spurs over the years keeping wages um, you know lower compared to all the other top six sides in the Premier League keeping everybody happy there being very stern with with the kind of signings, with the kind of money that they spent. Obviously, Paratici there is is to he's there to act as that mediator between what the manager wants versus what Daniel Levy wants to provide, and he's the guy that has to convince the both of them on, on both ends. So he's going to have the most stressful job this summer because the expectations from Antonio Conte is going to be skyrocketing. Um, but Daniel Levy, we all know, he's got a reputation for being uh, a stubborn head. And it's going to be interesting to see how they battle to keep um, that purse strings open or closed this summer. Because if you don't give Antonio Conte the summer that he wants, uh, Conte is the kind of manager that's not going to be hesitant enough to just walk away. He is not. He's not. He's not going to be hesitant, especially with a project like uh, PSG potentially being available in the summer as well. Uh, now that Pochettino is being uh, linked with an exit, so a lot still to work around in the summer. But but you have to say it's an excellent season so far. Um, by him and especially Paratici in terms of this, uh, the two Masters Group signings. Hey, uh, Goglin, Arsenal 5, Everton 1. Um, Arsenal failed to get the fourth spot, but they're probably being overly optimistic. But I think that these are the two managers who will be vying for the sack race at the beginning of next season. Frank Lampard, surely. I don't know. 
can Everton will Everton go with Frank Lampard? I think he's yeah. a disaster. <laughs> I think. Well, I personally think so also, but I really don't know what the, what the Everton project is going to be if they're going to stick with Frank Lampard. He barely they barely made it out with the skin of their teeth against uh, you know the, the running that they had. I really don't know if they're going to be back to, because Lampard is, was he brought in on a, a big long term contract case? I'm not really sure though. Was he? I can't remember. I think it was, it was a year and a half or something. Yeah, like something along those lines. So, you know, but knowing Everton, they'll probably give him another three-year contract just because it's Frank Lampard. I'm really sorry, yeah. mate. I am not a big fan <clears throat> of Lampard. No, no, I mean, uh, he, he will not be there by Christmas, I think. It's, it, pretty sure. Hey, Arvin, Arsenal, we should, we should spare a, a thought for Arsenal, but I can never think of anything to say about Arsenal because I don't know who or what Arsenal are. Do you know what Arsenal have become? I mean, they had a terrible beginning of the season and then they finished off fifth. Not bad. Not bad because they had that run which they were doing really well. Um, last night it was a, a 4-2-3-1 that they employed up front, but uh, I mean, the formation that they did. But you can't depend on hoping that someone like Eddie Niketia is going to bring you into the top four. So, They've got areas that they need to work on in that squad. It's a very young squad. Let's not take anything away from it. If you asked Arsenal fans at the beginning of the season, if we give you the fifth or sixth spot, they would have taken it because they would have been happy to be back in the league. But it's because expectations got heightened when they would, they went on that really good run and a lot of people felt, and for some of us on this call felt as well, that the top four was them for, to, to throw away because they were in the position of controlling it. They, they um, did throw it away. Yeah, they did trade away. Yeah, so the, so that's where the disappointment has come for Arsenal fans. I mean, with with Ateta, I mean, there's a lot of stuff where he spent that much of money and he still ended up where they are right now, which is fair enough. But you have to look at things a bit in a bigger picture. He's got some characters out of the club that needed to get out of the club, like Sofia Aubameyang, and eventually Lacazette will probably leave as well. So Arsenal have had an ab- above average season, but I get where that frustrations from the fans have come. But he, he's not going to be the sack race for the first six months. No, he's not going to be when the season starts. I, I personally don't think Arteta is going to get sacked next season. Though. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I, if he was going to get sacked, he would have got sacked already by now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that they even offered him a, a, a new contract as well, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. There's obviously an understanding of what the, the project is behind the scenes. I think Arteta summed it up very well in his pre-match press conference prior to uh, the final game of the season when, when they asked him about the whole... Uh, top four debacle, and he says that look, the situation with us is that ex- the expectations got very high, and it came back to bite. But ultimately, the fact that there was even an expectation around Arsenal to make top four is already indicative of the improvement that they've made. Because the last two seasons they finished outside of European football, they finished eighth. This season there was obviously a massive squad reveal. I mean, I don't get that argument about uh, Arteta has spent a lot of money but has brought no success. You look at that squad and the amount of rebuild that needed to be done, all the signings that Arteta has made, you could argue, have been pretty decent, right? From Ben White at the back, who everybody thought was going to be absolutely disastrous. And look at him. I think he's been quite good. Um, You've got Tomiyasu. You're putting aside the injury issues. He's been a revelation for Arsenal at the right-back position. And I think he's going to hold on to that role for many seasons to come, right? And, and, and I think from, from, a, from a managerial point of view, the only mistake, rather the one glaring mistake that I felt Arsenal made this season um, was not being decisive in the January market and replacing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I think that came back to haunt them. You look at how decisive Spurs were. I genuinely think if Kulusevski and Bentenka don't come, I don't think Spurs revived the form the way they did. Conte is an excellent manager, but these two players have added so much to the team and, and when you juxtapose that to Arsenal who had no one coming in January and they had to depend on an aging Lacazette who was struggling to find his feet and you've got Eddie Nketiah who yes he can score goals but the burden on his shoulders were a bit too big towards the end of the season and ultimately the, the problem for Arsenal boiled down to a lack of experience really they crumbled against Newcastle they crumbled against Spurs because when the pressure got too big there was no characters to hold them through which obviously has to be addressed in the summer and, and, and the pressure will be on Ateta and Edu to get those signings right. But but yeah, I, I, I think that they're on the right track. They're making the right decisions. That there seems to be a, a sense of plan and structure around the club at the moment. Something that has been missing from the club um, for the past few seasons. So I think there's there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic at Arsenal at the moment. Okay. Hey, uh, Goglan, we must remember a team called Chelsea came third. I sort of forgotten about them, but they were like 20 points behind, which incredible gap. 
And uh, you're an Aston Villa fan, so perhaps uh, with the turmoil that's going to be going, that uh, Chelsea are going to be going through, perhaps you can explain to Chelsea fans what to expect when a, a, a once great club sort of drops down the ranking. I don't think they're going to be in the same any kind of turmoil. I think the ownership part is going to be sorted in the next couple of weeks. And with Tuchel there, they've always got... See, managers like Tuchel attract players, right? Players want to play for managers like Tuchel, Pep, Klopp. These are managers that are big name uh, in stature. So with a manager like that, you will get... Even to a certain extent, Steven Gerrard. The reason players like Coutinho all come is because of Gerrard. He's, and we just signed... Uh, what's the new guy we just signed on the new central midfielder? Kamara. Kamara, yeah, from Olympic Marseille, yeah. There was a, that was just announced last night, and that's a big uh, thing. He was uh, he was being uh, wooed by Atletico Madrid, but you mm. know, it's kind of football Atletico Madrid play. <laughs> Why would anybody go there? Oh, oh. But, but I'm to answer your question, Chelsea will find. They, you, you, we were in the on this show talking about uh, Chelsea beating the league the last season. So yeah, so so to, therefore it's you know not good. Yeah, of course we we set expectation. They had they had the blip that we, we always talk about. That blip was longer than a bit uh, usual, you know. And to drop out of all three comp- comp- competitions, in, well, insipidly would be a it would be a harsh word, but I expected a bit more from Chelsea. Yes, but they were going through that turmoil at that time. But I think they steadied the ship. They know what they have. The ownership is being sorted out. I assume. And it looks like it at this point. And they, they should be all right for next season. Okay. Well, uh, you know, Arvin, this is uh, Thomas Tuchel is probably the first Chelsea manager since uh, Abramovich's reign, who at the end of the season where they come third can feel very confident and relaxed that he will be the, the manager next season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if you read, if you speak to Chelsea fans and you read the forums and you read the news spots, they've obviously been hurt because Antonio Rudiger is moving on to Real Madrid. They're losing, um, they're, they've lost Christensen to Barcelona. They might even lose Aspilicueta as well. So, you're losing a lot of experience at the back but if there's one consistent theme that you see among Chelsea fans is that we need to, the most important person we need to remain at this club into next season is Thomas Tuchel because <clears throat> Thomas Tuchel has shown the, the capability to actually win when it matters and he's had to, a lot to deal with as well I mean we shouldn't bring personal into work but the guy has gone through a little bit of a divorce as well that the sanctions in the club have not helped the Romero Lukaku experiment hasn't worked there has been things that he's had to battle with as well and Yes, we all sat here and probably thought that they would challenge Man City and Liverpool. But the reality is Man City and Liverpool have been building on this above everyone else for a couple of seasons as well. I believe they will retain Thomas Nuckel. He'll be there. The new owners are not by any means poor people. They will come and they will invest in that squad as well. They might not have the heightened sense of what Roman Abramovich was giving them, but they will have investment in that squad as well. I, I think they'll be fine. I mean, they, they they will make their way. They were in the FA Cup final. Let's it's not it's not a dire season as we as some people make out to be with Chelsea. Sorry, Kish, we have to move on. So th- that's enough Chelsea talk. I mean, you know, two minutes is always enough Chelsea talk for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in a moment, we're going to be coming to the really important part of the season. It's the uh, the relegation battle, and uh, and I think Arvin Sidhu has some things to say. So uh, we're back in a moment on Off the Ball BFM eighty nine point nine. Because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Off the Ball with myself, Cam Rustland, Gogolin, Arvin Sidhu and Kishnan Sundaresan. So the relegation battle, uh, it got sorted out now. It was down to if Burnley could win, then they would get through. It, regardless of the result for Leeds, Leeds on the but did go and win, and Burnley lost two nil against New two one sorry against Newcastle. So uh, Leeds remain in the Premier League. So that's enough of that. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Arvin. Look, look, two weeks ago when Leeds were in trouble, and you were on this show. We could hardly get a word out of you. Yeah, yeah you you just you were like a grumpy teenager. Oh, like, whatever, yeah, just leave me alone, show, bro. Yeah. I'm pessimistic. I think I had more belief in Jesse. Yeah, Marshall what did I say? What did There's I say? No, sir. What, what did I say? Yeah, in the go chat? on, Cam. Continue. What, what, did I, what did I say in the chat? Right? Control, control I told speed. you, man. It'll be all right. You guys, you guys will be safe. Okay. So, Arvin, um, I presume you watched the match. Oh, yeah. I will say. We were very quiet. We were very quiet. Oh. We were very quiet for the night. Uh, but, but 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 before you before you say how fantastic it was to um, have stayed up, if at the beginning of the season, as a Leeds United fan, Marcello Bielsa is the manager, you had been told that on the final day, Bielsa would no longer be the manager, and 
you would be in a, dependent on the final day results to stay up in the Premier League. You would have considered that a disaster. I, I would have, but I also was telling the Leeds United Sports Cup Malaysia that the sophomore season is always the tougher season because teams figure you out. There's no longer that element of surprise. And Marcelo Bielsa, as much as I love him and will continuously love him, uh, there is a point where it gets very heavy in the legs of Leeds players because he's been with the club for many, many years. He was with us in the Championship. He was with us in the Premier League for a couple of seasons. So after a while, it takes its toll. So I had that impression that anything 17 and above is a successful season because of the sophomore season. But taking it to last night, I mean, it was was just heroes. It was heroes all over the pitch. And it was so typical of Leeds of a season that's been absolutely decimated with injuries, absolutely decimated. That entire team's spine has been taken out from it. Liam Cooper, Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford. Our luck would be Patrick Bamford gets COVID before the game, the most important game of the season. So it was so typical Leeds. Going into that game, we hadn't beaten Brentford at their place in 70 years. Since we haven't played them. I don't know, 1950s. And our record, our record <laughs> in London... I was thinking that. <laughs> our record in London is horrible. But taking that all aside, I thought Leeds were absolutely fantastic last night. And obviously, we owe a gratitude to, New, to Newcastle as well. But the likes of Rafina, who will move on, with Leeds will have no chance of keeping him unless someone doesn't have the money to buy him. Why? Why was he walking on his uh, knees? On the, that, that, on the that, that's a religious thing. He's a very devout Catholic, so he's got a belief of of penance where he walks the entire pitch. He's done it before in Brazil as well. Oh, so wow. something yeah, that I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Leeds were fantastic. Jesse March was really good. Um, the, the sense was a bit of calm with Leeds because when when Brentford went down to nine men because they had used all their three substitutes and Sergi Carnos got the red card, there was a sense that. Yeah, we've got this now under control. Uh, but they were great. Um, the club has made mistakes this season. I think Andrea Raduzani did not invest in January. That's a big thing. Marcelo Bielsa takes some of the blame. I still think he would have kept us up. And some of the players haven't been able been, been as good as last season. But the one good thing is, the next season's planning is already started. Leeds last night have announced, or very close to announcing, that Brendan Aronson from RB Salzburg is joining them. So that's an important signing for them. So... The momentum, they just need to continue this. But it was such a big game last night. I'm so glad the boys came to. Yeah, I'm glad too because, you know, I, I uh, a bit of behind the scenes thing here. I, I sent messages out to about a week ago to ask people if they could be on the show. And people got back. I mean, but Arvin didn't reply until after Leeds had secured uh, <laughs> the Premier League spot. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't have turned up. Yeah. The other thing about Leeds is that, um, look, uh, under Jesse March, they went on this period when they had, I think, like five, uh, they went uh, five games completely unbeaten and they started picking up points in the latter stages. Um, it's just the unfortunate reality for Leeds that on top of all their crushing injury blows this season, which has been ridiculous, by the way. Uh, it's as bad as how Liverpool got it um, last season with all the injuries at the back. This season, Leeds, though, it was spread out all over the park. It wasn't just in a single position. But the bigger problem for them was the fact that right at the end of the season, they had this run of pictures that had City, Arsenal and Chelsea. And that's always going to crush you if you're if you're battling relegation when you have a run of pictures like that. Um, so, they, you know, it was three straight defeats. And after that, they bounced back. And heading into last night's fixtures, the advantage was always going to be with Leeds. And, and, and I understood the nerves around Leeds United fans. But when you look at the fixture last night, you look at the reality of what was Leeds dealing with and what was uh, Burnley dealing with. The advantage is always going to be with, with Leeds only because, for one, they were facing um, uh, Brentford um, and Burnley were up against a resurgent Newcastle side. But even if, even if Burnley were playing at home and Leeds were playing away from home, anyone who has watched that iconic clip of Jesse Marsh motivating his RB Salzburg players at the dressing room at Anfield, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of years ago when Salzburg played Liverpool in the Champions League. Anyone who has watched that iconic clip will know when it comes to one-off fixtures just how big of an advantage it is for you to have someone like him in the dressing room because he's so good at building that siege mentality for the one-off fixtures where it's you against the world and you will galvanize that entire squad to be to be up for it on the pitch. Whereas Burnley had an interim manager who, I mean, to be fair to him, has done pretty well. He's unleashed the squad to some extent to, to play more offensive-minded football, but he does not have that sort of a pedigree 
in the dressing room. He will struggle to galvanize the team the way Jesse Marsh was always going to galvanize Lee. So the, even as a neutrals, uh, from, from a neutrals point of view, there was a lot of optimism for me um, when I looked at the fixture. Um, I looked at the the fact that Leeds had Jesse March. Um, it wasn't a surprise the way they just uh, you know fought for every blade of the grass and got got the job done in the end. Um, and, mm. I, and I'm super excited to see uh, Jesse March having one full season because I'm a big big fan of him. Oh, yeah. Do you think he'll have one full season though? That was my next question actually. Look, I think Leeds uh, mature enough as a club now that if things were to go well, they can still try and look at the bigger picture. I, I'm I'm worried. If it hits January and the form is still so bad that, you know, then they might hit the panic button. But so as long as the summer is done in a very sensible way, so as long as the right kind of players are brought in and the injury issues, you know, fixed by itself, I mean, I I, I think um, he could potentially be given more than a year even. I think this Leeds team have what it takes to kick on next year. Okay, well, uh, congratulations uh, to Leeds fans in KL. Uh, Arvin tells me they're at least 25. That's dozens of fans. There were more Leeds fans last night than Liverpool and Man United fans at the bar that I was at. So Yeah, but that's because Man, it was... Man United. <laughs> well, <laughs> Goglin, I want to get on to Manchester United. I want to give plenty of time now for Manchester United. Crystal Palace won... Did, did, did they play last night? <laughs> they did play. Crystal Palace won Manchester United nil. And so with that scoreline, Manchester United are relegated from first flight... <laughs> Top flight football for the first time in 40 years. And in that time, they won two Champions Leagues. And, oh, no, wait a second. They they, they did not get relegated. They came um, quickly looking at the uh, sixth. sixth. They came sixth, you know, granted. <laughs> it was like it's a 10-point gap practically to fifth. Um, they've got Europa League football next season. So, Goglin, uh, we can we can notch this one up as a, a successful season for Manchester United, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> finish the season with a goal difference of zero. Lowest p- points tally since when, Kish? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Eighteen twenty-one, <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't stop. You got to ask Kish. He's a United fan on this one, mate. <laughs> the future's looking bright, I assume. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get, I want to get to, I want to get to Kish last. So give him, give him, give him a little bit of time. I, 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 if I was a United fan, I'd really have to go with the future's bright narrative right here because I really don't know if this season was a complete write-off, and if not for Ronaldo, I really dread to think what would have happened without his goals, actually. Because the only bright spot from this season, if you ask me, was, you know, Ronaldo. Because I can't believe they didn't get Conte when Conte was available. So that was a mystifying thing at that point. Because, you know, he was made for a team like United at that juncture. Because he said, you know, he doesn't stay long and all that. But he could have come in and stabilised the team at that juncture. And, and a team like United would have played for him. Especially with the squad that they have. Shocking. Even the last game of the season, you would think they would play for something. And they go... Give it up like that to Palace. So I, I, I think less said about United season is better. It, it, it was a, it was a terrible performance by United against Crystal Palace. But very quickly though, I mean, Crystal Palace and Patrick Vieira deserve a lot of praise for this season. I think that they've been uh, the big surprise of the season, and they haven't played you know negative football. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I always said if uh, Lampard was at Palace and doing what Vieira did, you could imagine the platitudes you'd be getting right now. So, Arvin, love for Crystal Palace, but let, let's just talk about Manchester United a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ten Hag, the new manager, was there. He was watching. Yeah. What do you think he would be thinking and what do you think he'll be planning for next season? He will be thinking that he's got a huge task on his hand, but he's a manager that needs to be given time. He's a very different profile of a manager than the appointments that Man United have made recently. When you look at Jose Mourinho, you look at Louis van Gaal, He's a very up-and-coming manager that the likes of like Liverpool and, 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 and City, to a certain extent, they've taken him on the basis of, of, a, of a very successful time in Ajax. So he's going to be, need to be given time. But there's going to be such a huge personnel change when you look at United. You look at the players that are going to leave that club. Matic, Pogba, Lingard, uh, Mata. That, those are just four already of your midfielders. Then you've got a question of what do you do with Donny van der Beek? He's an at Lord at Everton. He's got a good relationship with Eric Ten Hag. Do you bring him back in? Then defense-wise, you've got to sort it off. you heard the white likes of Aaron Bissaka potentially being sold off. They need a proper goal scorer as well. Ronaldo can't do what he's been doing for them for the season. So this could, I feel the United team is going to be pretty much unrecognizable from where they've ended the season to where they start next season. So he's going to have the opportunity to craft what he needs to craft. Uh, but other than that, it's just been 
a very, very disappointing. It's come to a point that I've always revered Man United as being one of the very big clubs and they will continue to pick it, be that big club. But when you look at results like last night and when they lose to Palace, it's come to a point that you're not surprised anymore. You're not shocked anymore. And it's unfortunate because the last game of the season, you need to do a little bit better than that. But we've seen these disappointments a number of times this season. And I know the one thing that me and Keish don't agree on, I just think Ralph Ragnick has been an absolute disaster, as long with the players as well. I understand the context of why he was brought in, but for me, he's not added any value. So, But let's look at the future. Only way, I, way is up for them. And I, I honestly feel they'll have a better season next season than this season. Yeah. So, Keish, I don't think I've ever seen somebody look quite as sad as you right now. As a Manchester United fan, you're an optimistic kind of guy. I'll ask you the same question. What do you think Ten Hag will attempt to do, can actually do? And if he is there for the long haul, what will this new United look like? I'll go back to what um, Googlin mentioned just now, that um, he doesn't know where United would be without Cristiano Ronaldo's goals this season. Last season in the Premier League, Man United scored 73 goals, 121 goals in all competitions. And there was no Cristiano Ronaldo. And they finished second in the league. They were respectable in the cup positions, lost the Europa League final. But 121 goals in all competitions and 73 in the Premier League without Ronaldo. This season, with Ronaldo, they've scored 57 goals in the Premier League. I'm not saying that Cristiano Ronaldo is the sole problem. He's an individual. He's a, As an individual player, he's a great goal scorer. But the Ronaldo conundrum is something that has been talked about very, very much. And where, when you look at the narrative that's played on social media, when you look at the narrative that's played by ex-pundits, everyone tends to dwell on the fact that Ronaldo scores the goal and, and carries the team. But Thierry Henry made an incredible point um, I think it was November uh, in, 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 in one of the Champions League games. He was a pundit. And at, 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 in the post-match game, he, he looked at United's performance and he, and he looked and said, look, yes, Ronaldo is scoring the goals. But besides that, um, there were question marks over what else he was doing for the team. And he had this very uh, you know poignant line where he said, when your poison becomes your medicine, um, things can get very difficult for you. Um, last night, after the defeat, I think it was two hours after the defeat, um, the Athletic, and, I don't, and I'll encourage anyone out there, um, if, if you have the time, subscribe to the Athletic. Um, incredible piece of uh, journalism, um, that entire website. Um, and the Athletic, and particularly this journalist called Laurie Whitwell, they had a, a special report on Ragnick's time at Man United, um, where he goes on to describe um, a lot of the issues under the rough Ragnick tenure, where some of it is... Um, rightly so, attributed to Ragnick himself. But a lot of it goes on to represent the widest sense of a mess that exists at Man United. It's an astonishing um, article, really. That And I mean, I have already had low expectations for Man United, but that article was able to drag it even lower. That's how bad things are at Man United. And, and, and it goes back to simple nuances, simple things like, you know, Ronaldo organizing a team meeting to talk about potentially playing two players up, playing with two strikers up front, and that meeting being ended early. Ragnick forcefully ended it early because apparently that meeting excluded Harry Maguire, who's the captain of the club. So you, you, you've got you know divisive figures. We spoke about it in the last few episodes. We've got divisive figures. We've got a board who is clueless about what they want to do, um, signings that they've made, uh, players that they've uh, uh, structures that they've put in place. You've got a manager. Uh, like Ralph Ragnick, who depended on a guy based in Russia to provide live in-game breakdown of opposition through through Apple Airports to your uh, assistant on the side of the pitch. It's it's the whole thing is a mess. Man United Football Club as an institution is an absolute mess at the moment, um, and, and that is why when um, uh, that is why Eric Ten Hag, as soon as the season ended um, in the Dutch league, he made the decision of not flying out with the team for their post-season holidays in Curacao. Instead, he chose to fly to England immediately to start work because he recognises there's a lot that needs to be managed from the get-go. Um, there's a lot that needs to be done. And the one um, saving grace for Ten Hag will be the fact that for the first time since Alex Ferguson retired, uh, Man United and a new manager will have the opportunity to build a fresh team because every other manager has come in has had to pick up baggage from the previous manager and work with that imbalanced structure and that imbalanced team. Ten players leaving will offer Ten Hag the opportunity to start to mould a United team that he wants to build. And I think that striker's position will be the most important one. And I think 
managing Ronaldo will be the most important one because it'll be very crucial. Uh, he's been very optimistic. He's been very supportive of everything he said about Ronaldo so far. But if anyone has read the things that Juventus players have said, when you've got a character like Ronaldo and a style of play that is so focused on him, it's it, it, I, I think the biggest difficulty, the biggest task um, in Eric Ten Hag's uh, hands at the moment is how he manages Ronaldo next season. Okay, well, that's um, that's keeps being optimistic. and <laughs> But I, I think they're going to bounce right back. So I think we'll see them back in the Premier League in no time. Uh, <laughs> in a moment, though, we're going to just wrap up, look at the final last few teams here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time. But coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back in the final part of Off the Ball here. And we're going to be looking at the, um, because we're wrapping up the, the Premier League here, look at some of the other teams that have uh, been in the league that we haven't necessarily really talked about. But I think that there are two teams, Brighton and Hove Albion. That's one team, by the way. Brighton and Hove Albion, three. West Ham, one. Both teams uh, have had really very good seasons. And Graham Potter, the manager for Brighton, he's constantly... He's always there as just sort of like just about to move to the, to the next level. And that next level is usually considered to be Everton. And the Everton job will be open within the first month or so of the next season. So, I mean, Goglin, if you look at Brighton and you look at West Ham for that matter, these have been good seasons for them, haven't they? Oh, definitely. I mean, West Ham would, could have been in the final, the European final, if not for certain things. But yes, definitely. Uh, uh, I'm speaking to some West Ham fans actually over a couple of weeks ago, and they are they are really happy with what they've achieved so far. And to answer your question, a great season for West Ham could have been much more. But I'm sure they're happy with where they are, where where they finished, and uh, the football they played. I think the biggest question they have on their lips right now is whether Declan Rice will stay. Here. You know, that's the biggest thing. Let's build a team around them, and you know, with players like they have right now. If you're a West Ham fan, you'll be looking up for it. We look forward to next season. Uh, as an Aston Villa fan, would you be happy to have Graham Potter over Stephen Gerrard? Definitely, <coughs> I would prefer Graham, Graham Potter any day over Stephen Gerrard. Yeah, yeah. Graham Potter is yeah, definitely. Graham yeah. Potter is will be a very, very sought after manager. You will watch watch yeah. the space. Yeah, but how? I mean, how is Arvin? I mean, how is Graham Potter going to take that that leap? He, what is the leap? The leap. The next level is. Um, well, there's Everton, West Ham. I mean, is Chelsea in that league? Because I think they're going to drip, drop down a bit. Newcastle? Potentially, but you've got to keep in mind that I think Graham Potter's been very smart. He, he was obviously linked to the Everton job, uh, but he came out publicly and said, no, he's committed to Brighton because he would have looked at the Everton scenario and said, potentially fighting back relegation. They've got financial issues as well. They've been reported by Leeds and Burnley for the amount of losses that they've made on three consecutive seasons. So I think Graham Potter's been very smart. He's got to choose the project that works for him and the, the point that where he can succeed as, at best. So, yeah, I mean, all the clubs that you spoke about just now would be traditionally very big clubs in England. And to be given that backing, I, I just want to see Graham Potter be able to be given the backing that he needs. Because when you look at their Brighton squad, some of the players that he's actually in, he's kind of like unveiled and just found gems all around Europe. Get Moise Cosido, I mean, yes, Pusuma, uh, Marco Corella from Getafe as well. It's just players that he reminds me sort of like a, a mini Jürgen Klopp in terms of transfer dealings because he gets players that works in that system. So I, for one, want to see Graham Potter at a bigger club and given more backing to see what he can really do. Managing bigger personalities might be a bit of a challenge, but you don't know until that person is given that opportunity. So I think Graham Potter will go to a bigger job, but he's being very smart about the project that he chooses. I completely agree. And I, and I think with uh, going back to Arvind's point about um, him unearthing the gems, um, see, the, the situation in modern football clubs is managers no longer are the characters that directly find these talents and pick mm. them out as players to sign. Uh, managers work within a structure where there's a wider team that's entrusted with the responsibility to be able to do that. And um, and Graham Potter, everywhere he's gone from Ostersons to Swansea, he's always been part of a structure that's very progressive-minded, usage of data analytics to identify and pick out talents. And, and one key component of his success so far has actually been Dan Ashworth. Um, who has, by the way, left Brighton to go to Newcastle, uh, which is a, saying a big thing, really, that Newcastle are hiring you as a, as, a, as a director of football. So he has been a fundamental part of that setup at Brighton. And, and, and I think part of the reason why 
he won't look at clubs like Everton for the time being is because they, they don't have those sorts of structures put in place. So unless a guarantee is given to him that structures like that will be put in place, I, I, I think Graham Potter will be more than happy to stay at Brighton because uh, even with Dan Ashworth leaving, whoever comes in will be walking into a structure that's very progressive with limited budget. And that's why uh, all the names that Arvin picked out earlier, Moises Caicedo, Cucurella, uh, all these guys are names picked out, you know, not just out of the eye test, but also that the, um, the, the numbers speak for themselves. Okay, so Goglin, another team that I've, um, I've not really, we've not really talked about too much this season. Leicester 4, Southampton 1. I haven't really talked about either of them. What surprised me when I looked at the final uh, league placings, Leicester came 8th. They did so much better than I thought they had. And Southampton came 15th. <laughs> a lot worse than I thought they had. But Leicester are in a, they're in a strange transitional period. Jamie Vardy's seriously not getting any younger. I don't know if Brendan Rodgers has still got the, the heart to carry on there. I don't know where Leicester are, are heading, but they have some resources. Do you think they can turn it around? Do you think Leicester yeah, are here they, to stay? Definitely Leicester, yeah. I, don't know, I think Rodgers just signed a long-term contract, though, if I'm not mistaken, last season, though, with them, right? Kish? Something similar to that, oh, right? I, I'm not too sure, so... Yeah, but... So I think he's in there for the long term. And I, I, there was a chance when he was supposed to go and all that, but I think he's decided to stay at Leicester and see out his uh, plan, uh, project or whatever he's going to be doing there. If where they finish is actually after the, the, the run that they had is actually very good for this season. You know, if mm. you're a Leicester fan, you're going to, go, you're going to take, one, take that as a win for where, whatever it is. And uh, the finish that strong at this season is also okay. So yes, apart from the, the collapse in the mid-season that they had, I would think this is a win for uh, Leicester fans. Yeah. And Southampton's uh, the team that I always forget even in the Premier League. So that brings us to the end of this week's show. Uh, we're going to have uh, you guys, well, not you, Gogolin, but because you're going away, but uh, we'll speak to you one more time. Uh, we've got one more show. But uh, for now, I want to thank uh, Goglin. Thank you. Thank you. It was a great season. Up, up, and here we go. And thanks for Cam for stepping in. You've done a great job. We miss Ross a lot, but you know this is your show now, and I wish you all the best. Oh, thanks, Gokhan. Thanks, and uh, thank you to Kishan and Sundaresan. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I echo Gok's sentiments as well. There were multiple times during the United game last night where I thought to myself, like, what would Ross say to this absolute <laughs> shambles in the club at the moment? But but I'm glad that he's part of that history. Um, and then we have to deal with it instead. Uh, but it can only get better from here on for United fans. And, and thank you so much for doing this, Cam. Oh, well, uh, pleasure, pleasure. And finally, Arvin Sidhu, the happiest man, the happiest man I think I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try and keep my wallet closed by not buying more lead stuff. That's how happy I am. But yes, thank you, Cam. Uh, Ross would have been proud of the season. He would have been proud of the show. Uh, marching on together. Enjoy the end of the season. Big playoff uh, uh, finale this weekend. That's going to be great. And then the Champions League final. Yeah. Make sure, make, make sure you take care of Bob, mate. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know what state we're going to. We're going to catch up with him and find out what state Bob Holmes is in because of uh, Nottingham Forest. Arvin, go and watch it with him and take some videos. <laughs> if he wants to, I don't mind. I'll, I'll join him. It's fine. Yeah. It's Twenty-three years, man. If Leeds took sixteen years, twenty-three years is going to be a huge explosion if they make it up. So. The Premier League needs Forest back. Yeah. So anyway, that brings us to the end of the show. And thank you all and see you for the Friday show. But for now, it's Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.